is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to us and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that talk, matters. matters. Transforming, Transforming truth, truth to power, power, one broadcast, one broadcast, broadcast at, a time. at a time. Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time from the Our Common Ground Studios, live. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. A state of emergency has been declared in the U.S. city of Baltimore after protesters clashed with police. It follows the funeral of Freddie Gray, who died in police custody over a week ago. The National Guard say that as many as 5,000 troops have been deployed amid the unrest. They also are reinforced by armored vehicles. Well, at least 15 officers have been injured as rioting youth started throwing rocks at police. Uh, Buildings have also been set on fire. Some of them are still burning. Uh, Police officers have been dispatched to protect firefighters who came under attack while trying to extinguish the fires. Uh, People who are in search of answers, uh, and that just turns into rage, you know, when you are are wondering constantly, uh, you know, after the situation, after days and days and days of peaceful protests, uh, you know, you get there was a boiling point that was hit, uh, and again, unfortunately, you know, I wish that it did not turn out this way. But I wish that the events, uh, I wish that Freddie Gray was not, you know, killed.
killed in the way that he was. I wish that so many other victims of, uh, of violence at the hands of of some wanton officers, you know, I wish that those lives were not lost. I know. I'll be on the go. There ain't no drink out there that can numb my soul. Oh no. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Every time I step outside, I see my niggas die. And now, Janice Graham. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. Once again, our people have had another rough week. And I want you to know that I stand in solidarity with the uprising, the resistance, and the messages of the people in the streets of Baltimore, Maryland tonight and hope that it extends to every village and every county and city and town where we face American-styled terrorism. Thank you for being with us, and we've got a lot to do tonight, and we certainly uh, appreciate so very much uh, you're being with us. We have some things that we're going to talk about, but we have a guest who wrote <clears throat> this week that any kind of resistance does not fit the narrow definition of nonviolent. Resistance is illegitimate violence and therefore counterproductive because violence doesn't accomplish anything and he wrote it in the context of Baltimore and the human right to resistance, rejecting the framework of the oppressor. He is our brother and our common ground voice, Ajamu Baraka, a human rights defender whose experience spans three decades of domestic and international education and activism. He's a veteran grassroots organizer's organizer whose roots are in the black liberation movement and anti-apartheid and Central American solidarity struggles, and we welcome him once again to our common ground. Thank you so much, brother, for being with us. We hope that you are well, and we know that you only have a short time, but it was very important as we look at the resistance and rebellion looking at our people still asking whether or not black lives matter. Thanks for being with us. Okay. Ajamu, are you there? Okay, I've got two here. 
Ajamu, are you there? Yeah, hello? Yes. Uh, thank, thank you for joining us again at Our Common Ground. Um, thank you. Thank you, my sister. I really I really appreciate uh, joining you tonight for the talk about this very, very important uh, subject. Well, I think that it really is important for people to embrace the notion that rebellion and resistance is not only necessary, that it is the only option that America has given us. And it seems that through media we are di- we are discovering that there are some of us who believe that somehow this is not necessary. I've heard that all week. Talk to mm-hmm. us about that and your piece in black, well, uh, the Black Agenda report that we'll talk more about later in the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my, my basic basic position is that um, all oppressed people have a right to resist. All people who are oppressed have a right to 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 re- to resist, to free themselves from from oppression, and that uh, what we saw in Baltimore uh, was uh, the righteous indignation of of a community that has been under uh, assault for not just the last couple of months, but for decades. And they finally got to a point where, as a consequence of this horrific murder of Freddie Gray, that they engaged in in resistance. They uh, demanded justice. Uh, They were engaged in nonviolent protests. Uh, But as a consequence of agitation from the police forces, uh, taunting from um, some drunken white uh, baseball fans, uh, there was a, a physical confrontation. Uh, the police then uh, clamped down on the demonstrators. Uh, people resisted. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the narrative goes from the demand for justice and the attention once again being placed back on the repressive state where uh, the the representatives of the state are involved in the systematic slaughter of black people across the country, all of a sudden now the, the, the attention is on the forms of resistance. That just because there were uh, some, uh, some assaults on some property, uh, some symbols of, of outside economic uh, control, uh, the whole uh, narrative shifted to the, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of the, of the resistance. It was a marvelous kind of shift that was that was done, and what was interesting about that was that this wasn't a shift that was done as a consequence of 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 of, of our uh, recognizable oppressors uh, making that shift. The the leading the, the cutting edge of that of that shift in the in the dialogue, that shift in the narrative, were basically black folks, black people in 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 authority in Baltimore. Uh, and then the theme was picked up across the country where basically uh, these young people that engaged in forms of resistance that they did not agree with uh, were condemned and criticized across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, 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 the, the criticism it, I heard was from the media, from yes. our our political leadership, 
uh, specifically from our president, but I heard it from the black misleadership. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was the most disturbing thing, that they didn't have a handle on, one, why this was happening, Two, they did. They couldn't project that it would happen. And three, they really didn't have satisfactory responses for the masses and the grassroots uh, and grassroots activists. You, you know, you know, Janice. Uh, we have to remind ourselves. Um, we might recall that in the in the initial uh, response to the a murder of, of, of Mike Brown and Ferguson. Uh, when the police um, provoked uh, the resistance and uh, clamped down on the protesters, uh, there, were, there were assaults on property. There, were, uh, there was some burning. There was even some looting. But the reaction, the response from the public, both in Ferguson and around the country, was not as... Uh, severe and critical as what we saw in in Baltimore as a consequence of one night of that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. What was the difference? What was the difference? I, w- I, w- I would say, I would argue the difference is this. In Ferguson, it was perceived that we had a uh, a white supremacist enclave that had been involved in the systematic discrimination of, of black people. So there was a certain certain kind of, 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 of sympathy, if you will. Um, in Baltimore, you had a so-called black-led city. And it was these black officials who were the ones that condemned these young people that raised up the issue of their inappropriate uh, tactics. And what happened as a consequence of their comments and then the President of the United States uh, labeling these young people as thugs and criminals, it opened up a floodgate of criticism and critique. It allowed, it gave people the cover to say things, especially Europeans, to say things they really wanted to say back in Ferguson, but they didn't feel that they had the space to do that. But now that they were given, now they had the cover as a consequence of the of the criticism coming from the black community. All of this stuff came out, and these uh, protesters became thugs and criminals, and people just piled up on them, and the situation was militarized. They clamped down on the community. They brought in the National Guard, and they still have a curfew tonight. So the whole, not only was the narrative shifted, but the whole attitude uh, and, and, and the approach, uh, the sentiments, directed at the black community in Baltimore was profoundly different than what we saw in Ferguson. It's all, I would argue, because of this class contradiction in in the black community and the fact that these black folks in Baltimore were highly upset that these poor black people in, in Baltimore showed them up, acted out in front of white folks, demonstrated that they could not keep the natives in line. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, is, it, is, it has really been an outrageous display of, of racial uh, collaboration with white power. 
Now, in your piece that um, that you wrote uh, in Black Agenda in the Black Agenda Report, you indicate uh, you you talked about the history of colonial conquests and the and the settle and settlement in in the United States but you made a very important point about this persistent i i would i would even say this persistent reluctance that we have to cross certain lines as we face especially police terrorism in this country as a people. Talk to us about, I, I like that that all of us acknowledge that none of us want to uh, exalt violence and the loss of life, but you talk about the structure of violence in everyday institutional practices within the within yes. the society that we have to operate in, talk to us about that. Well, you know, we have to we have to acknowledge that the that when you have uh, an oppressive situation, what we like what we have in the U.S., you have when you have the dichotomy between oppressed uh, and the oppressor. When you have society that's organized in such a way where people's basic human rights and human dignity is denied, when you have social practices that degrade human beings and does not recognize their fundamental humanity, all of this is traumatic. I mean, when you have these kinds of structural relationships that result in in the this, in this psychological and spiritual assault on people. That is institutional violence. So one does not even have to look at the physical violence that is uh, directed toward uh, people who are being oppressed. Um, it is a form of, of spiritual and, and, and psychological violence that is embedded in the very way in which society operates. It, it murders the spirit. It kills people and kills their desire and their, their enthusiasm for life. It blocks their ability to fully develop their, their human capacities. So when people, be, when people come to the understanding that they have uh, a right to resist, that they have a, a humanity that has just as much value as anyone else, when they recognize that what they have been subjected to is, in fact, a, a form of systematic oppression, and they decide they're going to resist, then no one, especially no one from the oppressor community, can tell them how they resist. So even if there are forms of violence that are used, because if you have this kind of uh, systematic uh, but yet unacknowledged violence is just a part of everyday living, then if it, if it takes a, a violent reaction, violent resistance to free yourself of, 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 this, of this oppression, one would argue that you have a moral right to do that. And if, we, if you didn't have that kind of moral right, then we wouldn't have 
uh, the struggles that we've seen take place in places like South Africa, in Vietnam, all of the anti-colonial struggles throughout the world. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have the so-called American Revolution. You wouldn't have the Haitian Revolution. You have all of these historical examples of when where people have resisted, where they have taken their humanity back for themselves, and have decided that they're going to free themselves as Malcolm said, by any means necessary. So when you, when you find yourself in that position where you have to resist, you cannot allow yourself to be confused by the ethical framework of the oppressor who's going to try to counsel you about the, the, the necessity to be nonviolent, who's going, who going to try to hold up uh, and highlight leaders who are counseling the oppressed to only struggle in a certain kind of way. All you got to do is be able to think and say, hmm, if there was no value in any kind of violence, then how do, do you explain the fact that you have the U.S. involved in wars in six different countries right now? So, no, we have to think for ourselves, and that allows ourselves to be uh, 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 tricked into uh, trying to operate in, in the same kinds of ethical uh, language uh, that can disarm us and undermine our ability to resist and to free ourselves and transform the conditions that we face. One of the things that I noted and that made me um, pretty retros uh, uh, retrospective about what was happening starting last Saturday in Baltimore was the idea that we did have some scholars, some activists, and some advocates uh, at the grassroots talking about the ideology and the practice of of um, uprising and and protests mm -hmm. as as a historical reality in the establishment of the United States of America and mm. that in that history black people have gotten no attention unless it happened that yes. me, that that gave me some uh, gave me some positive about it but one of the things that i found is with all of the talking discourse over the 32 years that i have been broadcasting and we have been talking about organizing how you do organizing and strategizing in your organization, understanding the demographics and the history of a city like Baltimore, that Baltimore is no more organized than it was in 1968 when there were uprisings at that time. How mm -hmm. do we fix that? How do we fix that? How do we fix it? Well, you know what you what you're describing is is the historic historical challenge, and that is the only way that people are able to advance themselves to to change their conditions is through organization. It is understanding, in fact, what it is they up against. And in mm -hmm. 1968, mm -hmm. we were just coming to a certain kind of awareness, a certain kind of consciousness around uh, the kinds of of struggles we had to engage in in order to. Uh, advance ourselves as a people. 
but we 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 kind of got stuck, Sister Janice, because the the state, the authorities, were waging a a counterinsurgency against us. They were targeting our organizations, as you know. They were undermining our ability to resist. So in Baltimore and in many other places around the country, the kind of 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 of, of organ, organizing that we were engaged in, the resistance that we were developing, uh, it suffered as a consequence of this massive counterinsurgency directed at our people. So our our communities remained relatively unorganized. At the same time that the more militant aspect of our struggle was being undermined, uh, we had a, a new strata in our community that as a consequence of some of the reforms that we were able to win from the, from the state, uh, we were able to uh, uh, run people for elected office. Uh, many of, of these individuals from the middle class strata uh, put themselves forward. Uh, to be our representatives, if you will, um, and we elected them because we saw that as something that was progressive. Uh, they became the new uh, class of of, uh, of overseers, if you will, the the black uh, professional and managerial class. Their responsibility was to be the administrators, uh, to uh, to admit to 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 administrate and manage uh, these urban environments where we were, where we were located. And the rewards for that was the uh, material advancement. They became, uh, they had solid uh, places in the middle class. Uh, they were able to send their kids off to schools. Now their kids have nice jobs all over the country. Uh, we had the crystallization of a and an expansion of a black middle class in this country that has a stake in the system uh, and is more than willing to fight for their particular class interests and to align themselves with those same forces that are still undermining our people. So they have a stake in us being disorganized. They have a stake in us being controllable. Uh, so our responsibility is to build a resistance, is to understand and identify the enemy, is to, to, to get across to our people that, you know, things unfortunately are not going to be reformed that the only way we're going to be able to address the, the material uh, needs of our people, uh, the only way we're going to be able to free ourselves from oppressive police forces uh, and to avoid our, our sons and daughters being incarcerated at these extraordinary rates, the only way we're going to be able to uh, ensure that we can live life and not have to worry about uh, rent and paying bills and whether or not we can eat and whether or not we're going to be able to, to, net, to, to avoid being homeless. The only way we can solve these problems, we've got to transform this system. We've got to understand that we are in a war. And even mm -hmm. if we don't see the, 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 the possibilities of, the, of winning that war for ourselves, then I would argue we have a responsibility like the, like the people came before us we have a responsibility to struggle for the ones coming after us. Because if we don't, Janice, because of the relative decline of this system in the U.S., and we see the rot internally in these various cities economically, that 
if we don't change the system, then basically we are going to find ourselves basically uh, in a situation even more serious than we find today because we are, uh, in essence, a population, unfortunately, that in the global economy, and we are part of the global economy now, we are now a superfluous population, a surplus population. We're redundant. We're not needed in this economy. And when you have a people who are not needed in a settler, racist, colonial uh, system, then you have the basis uh, and a real possibility for genocide. Well, I, 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 you know, I want to cry while you were talking. <laughs> but, I mean, I've had a headache all week. I, I had to take time off from work. I was afraid that I would get fired if I went to work. I really was afraid that somebody would say the wrong thing, ask me the wrong question, and there I yeah. would go. Um, right. But um, one of the things that is just so critical is that we begin, the right people begin to teach the young people who were out in the street, how to do the critical analysis, both the cultural mm -hmm. analysis, the political analysis, so that they are raising the appropriate questions and challenging and demanding the real system rather than the system that is imagined. And yes. I know you have to go, but I do want to ask you this one question and ask you for uh, your commentary on why you thought at the announcement of the charges against the six officers who um, are going to uh, who are who are charged with the the murder of uh, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, mm -hmm. why you thought that the majority of the people who had been pro protesting and believing that their protest was an, an authentic struggle celebrated? Well, I think that they still believe there's a possibility of justice coming from, from, from this system. Um, and that's understandable. But we have to, I think we have to kind of deal with that with that sort of innocence. Uh, on one level, though, we do have to acknowledge that, um, and I think some people made the argument today, I, I made it myself, and that is that, you know, they, they condemn the so-called violence in, in Baltimore, but I would argue that if they would not have, if, we, if the people in Baltimore would not have engaged in a kind of aggressive resistance, that they engaged in, I don't know if there was sufficient political pressure enough that would have resulted in the indictments. Mm -hmm. So as mm -hmm. a consequence of, of the struggles that people engaged in, the pressure that was placed on those local authorities, on one level it was a people's victory that these uh, uh, individuals were indicted. Now, does that mean that they're going to be convicted? Uh, not really. We don't know. Secondly, does that mean then that it has any kind of real impact on 
the objective reality of the mission of these police forces across the country, their mission, which is basically to control and to contain this population of black poor people and Latino people in these urban areas uh, where the majority of our population, as I said before, is at this point redundant. Is that going to transform those relationships and, and shift that mission? No, it is not. Now, to acknowledge that is not, is not to feel bad about that. And, and to, I mean, on one level, you, we can feel a little sad that in 2015 we're in the same predicament that we were in 50 years ago, okay? Uh, but it's to, to come to terms finally with reality, to understand that the ability of the system to reform itself and to address our needs no longer exists. So for me, I'm excited that people are coming to that point, that we've gone through mm-hmm. this whole process of electing black mayors and black officials and, and seeing uh, uh, black people in, in, in the highest echelons of, of the corporate world uh, and all these black spaces and high places, and for the masses of our people, nothing changed. So people begin to understand it's got to be more than what we thought it was. We even have a black president, and nothing has changed. In fact, things have gotten worse. So we had to go through these experiences to come to a point where now we can disabuse ourselves of all these illusions and take on the hard historical task of struggle. And I feel good about that, and I feel good about the fact that there are young people across this country that are coming to that realization. Now, the challenge we have is this, Sister Janice. That is to transform this spontaneous resistance, this unorganized emotional resistance into systematic organization because we can't win just based on emotion. We've got to have organization. We've got to have uh, people involved in in helping us to understand in terms of developing uh, analysis of what what it is we're up against. We have to have strategic uh, planning and a strategic focus for our work, we've got to understand that we're involved in a protracted struggle and that the only way we can win that struggle is through systematic organization. We don't need to be looking for some uh, grand leader, some great quote-unquote man to, to, to save us. We can't look at the electoral system to save us. We have to save ourselves, but understand that in that process of organizing ourselves and engaging in political struggle, we all are not going to be on the same page. You know, those black folks in, in Baltimore and in Atlanta and in other places in Philly that have a stake in the system, who believe in this system, who believe in, in its ability to, uh, to do right for themselves, uh, they're not going to be with us, you know, and that's all right. What we got to do, though, is to wake people up to the fact that just because a brother or a sister looks like a brother or a sister, that don't mean they really are. We've got to identify what it is that we're going to organize around our values, our vision, and that becomes the basis of unity. And that's why I'm involved in the process now that I would suggest that your listeners check out. We are involved in organizing a Black Left Unity Network. It's not a political party. It's not a coalition. It's no more than a, a network of people who are coming together who are saying, look, 
we need to have at minimum just the ability to talk among ourselves and to maybe coordinate some activities from time to time, you know. But we understand mm-hmm. we've got to have some process of building unity. So we, we'll, we'll put together a, a, a draft sort of black manifesto that we're asking people to take a look at to see if that captures some of the, the things we need to struggle and organize around and to give some feedback on that. We're asking people to join the listserv, uh, to look out for the, for the journal, uh, to, to, to be connected to this process. You don't have to do any kind of uh, commitment beyond just, you know, be connected, go to the website, check out the journal, uh, engage in some of the conversations when you feel like it. But we've got to begin to move our people toward understanding we've got to have coordinated uh, and concentrated uh, structures and power and building power at some point if we want to survive and win. And I think we're going to, I know, I'm absolutely certain that we're going to win. It's going to be a horrific struggle. We're going to win. Give us a website. Well, you know, you, if you want to follow my writings, you know, it's my name, Ajamu Barak, yes. A-J-A-M-U-B-A-R-A-K-A.com. Uh, a I also voice write from the, the margins. And we're putting it in our yeah, we're putting in our chat room right now. Uh, right, great. And I write for a Black Gender Report. Uh, right for Counterpunch. These are the alternative places we need to go to get information, uh, to get different different views of the world. Um, so that's where you go and, and get some of the stuff that I'm doing. You go to the Black Left Unity Network website. That's blackleftunity.org. Uh, uh, it's a Black Left Unity Network Facebook site. So just seek it out. The information is out there. People are moving toward organization, uh, and um, people are understanding the world, and we're debating the world. We're developing theory. We are engaging uh, folks, engaging our people. Uh, so, so try to be a part of this conversation. Continue to listen to this show. This is the, this is the, these are the kind of places that we have to go to get alternative information. The sister you're going to come, you, you bring it on right after me. Has been involved in fantastic work, you know, raising up the level of the the the, the, the issue of of black political prisoners, our 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 prisoners, our prisoners of war, uh, who have been locked down in some cases for four and a half decades, you know, uh, you know we we can't abandon the people who struggle for us, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't apologize because we had we had a black liberation army and that we engage in all kinds of resistance, we have a right to resist. And we, mm-hmm. we, uh, we hold up, and we hold up proudly, you know, our, our warriors. So, you know, this sister's going to talk about that, I'm sure, you know, when she comes on. But that's, these are the kind of places we have to go to seek out alternative information, to equip ourselves for the kind of fight that we're involved in. And we are involved in a fight. We're involved in a war. Yeah, this is war. And people need to understand the nature of what that war involves. Um, I I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight because I think people's hearts are heavy. I know I I just, I've been doing this for so long Mm. that I'm unsettled this week. Yes. 
because yeah. I, you know you and I have been in this in this struggle for such a long time that you look for certain signs. And as you write in this piece, and I really encourage people to go to the Black Agenda Report and subscribe. The piece is Baltimore and the Human Right to Resistance, Rejecting the Framework of the Oppressor. Um, Our guest tonight has been Ajamu Baraka. He is a human rights activist, organizer, the geopolitical analyst and editor and contributing columnist for the Black Agenda Report. So we want you to um, engage outside of the outside of this space mm-hmm. because we can't do it for you. We can simply bring you the information, bring you the 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 platform for empowerment of black truth. And you have to move from there. That's right. And Ajamu, I've been saying this for 32 years. (laughs) All of your community radio has been stripped from you because we did not understand that this was a war. We did not understand that strategy. Yes. So I, I really do thank you. You're going to have to come back for a full two hours because we've got to talk about how Baltimore, Detroit, New York City, Boston, Los Angeles, Dallas, Fort Worth, Chicago, they are all Gaza. Yes, yes. Now let's definitely, let's definitely do this. Um, we should have more time tonight. But uh, anytime you 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 extend the invitation, you know I will I will be there. Well, thank you so much, my brother, and uh, we wish you well, and may the force be with you, and we will continue in this struggle. Thank you so very thank you, much. My sister. And give my regards to Sister Ophelia. I will. I certainly will. She knows that you're you you were with us, and she's going to be joining us um, very shortly. Okay. And we'll see you you. next time on Our Common Ground. Thank you. Uh, For those of you who do not know him, he serves as a public intervener for human rights as a member of the Green Shadow Cabinet, and um, he coordinates the International Affairs Committee of the Black Left Unity Network, He is also an associate fellow at the Institute for Public uh, for Public Policies and Studies in Washington D.C. And we hope that you will follow his blog at the Black Agenda Report. I apologize for that. Who doesn't know that I'm on the air tonight? Okay, we're going to take a a break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined with our dear sister, a returning Our Common Ground voice, um, Afia in Wangaza, and uh, she is another uh, powerful comrade for us, she's She's a human rights attorney and liberation broadcaster at WMXP in Greens, Greenville, South Carolina, 
and the current director of the Malcolm X Center for Self-Determination. Um, and we're going to take this break, and we thank you for being with us tonight. If you're listening and you'd like to join our chatters, you can do so at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. We thank all of the people who are in our chat room joining us and having uh, the opportunity to discuss uh, our topics as we move into as we move into um, this season uh, for great uh, examination and and planning. Uh, also, we encourage you to go to our Facebook event, which uh, is at our common ground on Facebook in the event section uh, to take a look at some of the articles that have appeared this week uh, relative to our discussion tonight. We're looking back at this week's uprising in Baltimore and exploring where we go from here. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back. We're not going to have boots on the ground, but now you got over a thousand soldiers. You know why there's going to be more? Because they're going to start killing some of those that we've already pulled there now. Because exactly. if you can't get 30,000 Shiites to stand their ground and they're fully armed, just a thousand Sunnis, and they drop their weapons, drop their uniforms, drop their draws, and run. What have you got? Because you know I'm all about that, baby. The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show. Fridays, 10 p.m. Just damn. Advanced political pushback. Talk radio on TruthWorks Network. Three Fridays. He's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. India Declare, real, raw, and right now. It's time to get our real, raw, and right now on the I Declare Show. Returning May 5th on Blog Talk Radio, Tuesday, 9 p.m. with India Declare. If it's real raw right now, Talk Media, come on, baby, say it with me. 
It can only be the I Declare Show. The I Declare Show. Tuesdays, 9 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. The I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult real raw right now. He was a 23-year-old kid who had witnessed something committed by somebody he knew. He really didn't know what to do. So he just put one foot in front of the other. This is Janice Graham, and you're listening to... Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I'm all screwed up tonight. I I, I tell you, this week has been a really, really tough week uh uh for all of us and i think that many of us don't realize to what extent we get impacted by what we saw what we know um what we know is according to a 2012 report from the Malcolm X grassroots movement a black person is killed by law enforcement every 40 hours that black male teenagers are 21 times more likely to be killed by a police officer than white male teenagers and according to stop and frisk data more than 90% of people stopped by the police are not committing a crime are carrying contraband And many of us ask the question, why did Freddie run? Well, think it is a question that we really do have to answer. If you ride through any of the predominantly black neighborhoods in any city in America, you know what it's like. That there is a negligent police officer who now stands on every one of those corners who caused Freddie Gray to flee. People run because they are tired of being accosted 
and harassed by the police every time they walk out of their school or leave the subway. People run because their mothers and fathers tell them, if you are within long stone's throw of our house, run home so I can protect you. People run simply because they realize that in America, if they are not committing a crime, if they're simply going home, if they don't have a gun on them, if they haven't picked up your son or grandson, hasn't picked up something up without paying at the corner store, they can end up with a broken spine, choked to death, are shot dead for simply being black. That is why they run. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Um, We're going to uh, move into the next segment of the show. I am way off base tonight, way off base, and... And I have got to find my feet, and I think we will do it with our, I will be able to do it by the end of this program. We're going to be joined by Afia Nwangaza of the Malcolm X Center for Self-Determination right after this. We feel that the police must be brought under control by any means necessary, including through force of arms. And we have never bit our tongue about that. We say it now loud and clear. We will always say it. We're not afraid to say it, that these racist Gestapo pigs have to stop brutalizing our community or we're going to take up guns, we're going to drive them out. It is time that everybody understands that the Black Panther Party has not been trying to shuck and jive anybody. We've been trying to move this struggle from a lower to a higher level. All the people who sacrificed their lives in all organizations, not only the Black Panther Party, who are political prisoners, etc., must be defended. We understand that fascism exists in America. As the number one threat the internal security of the United States of America. These are word-by-word, verbatim quotes from J. Edgar Hoover. The year of 69, every branch and office of the Black Panther Party in one way, shape, fashion, form, or another was attacked by the power structure, law enforcement agencies, and so on. And people walking around out there like walking wounded, you know, just like they've been in Vietnam. Victims of gun battles and sieges and, and isolation and torture and destroyed families and dead parents but nobody knows about them and nobody really cares and that story is one that hasn't been told yet the findings of our comprehensive thorough and independent investigation coupled with the medical examiner's determination that Mr. Gray's death was a homicide, which we received today, 
has led us to believe that we have probable cause to file criminal charges. Mr. Gray indicated that he could not breathe and requested an inhaler to no avail, while Officer Nero physically held him down against his will until a BPD wagon arrived to transport Mr. Gray. Lieutenant Rice, Officer Miller, and Officer Nero failed to establish probable cause for Mr. Gray's arrest as no crime had been committed by Mr. Gray. Accordingly, Lieutenant Rice, Officer Miller, and Officer Nero illegally arrested Mr. Gray. Following transport from Baker Street, Mr. Gray suffered a severe and critical neck injury as a result of being handcuffed, shackled by his feet, and unrestrained inside of the BPD wagon. From Baker Street, Officer Goodson proceeded to the vicinity of Mosher Street and Fremont Avenue, where he subsequently parked the wagon and proceeded to the back of the wagon in order to observe Mr. Gray. Despite stopping for the purpose of checking on Mr. Gray's condition, at no point did he seek nor did he render any medical assistance for Mr. Gray. Officer Goodson returned to his driver's seat and proceeded toward the central booking and intake facility with Mr. Gray still unsecured by a seatbelt contrary to a BPD general order. Sergeant Alicia White, Officer Porter, and Officer Goodson observed Mr. Gray unresponsive on the floor of the wagon. Sergeant White, who was responsible for investigating two citizen complaints pertaining to Mr. Gray's illegal arrest, spoke to the back of Mr. Gray's head. When he did not respond, she did nothing further despite the fact that she was advised that he needed a medic. She made no effort to look or assess or determine his condition. Despite Mr. Gray's seriously deteriorating medical condition, no medical assistance was rendered or summoned for Mr. Gray at that time by any officer. After completing the North Avenue arrest and loading the additional prisoner into the opposite side of the wagon containing Mr. Gray, Officer Goodson then proceeded to the Western District Police Station where contrary to the BPD general order, he again failed to restrain Mr. Gray in the wagon for at least the fifth time. I have heard your calls for no justice, no peace. However, your peace is sincerely needed as I work to deliver justice on behalf of Freddie Gray. To the rank and file officers of the Baltimore City Police Department, please know that these accusations of these six officers are not an indictment on the entire force. Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. And we're going to try to find Athea in, in Juan Gaza on this board. Sister, are you there? That's the problem with this technology. Athea? Can you hear Hello? me? Yes, yes, I can. Thank you, sister. I'm oh, so good. glad you are here tonight. Girl, just hold me close. <laughs> <laughs> all of us. All of us. Just yeah. hold me close. Here we are again. 
Mm-hmm. And people are questioning our right to resist Bell mm-hmm. and to rise up out of this oppression that blends mm-hmm. us dead bodies. Talk to me. One after the other. One after the other. You know one other. thing? Um, there is... Um, uh, we've been collecting as many... Um, uh, critical police, um, anti-police brutality, anti-police murder, um, terrorism songs as we can to play them on uh, WMXP 95.5 FM in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, we, um, can be heard on the web from the uh, Malcolm X Center for Self-Determination website. And um, the oldest one that we've been playing, and it's not the oldest one available, is Rick James' 1977 Mr. Policeman. Mm-hmm. And every time you show your face, somebody dies. Um, there's a whole range of of such songs, and 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 actually, almost every uh, conscious uh, or um, you know even um, and I'm trying. It's not necessarily even conscious because I don't know that anybody would say that Rick James was all that politically conscious. You know, I mean, he was. or, or maybe I didn't pay enough attention to his music, but I never thought of him as politically conscious. But his song, it's a classic. Um, we, we, uh, but I, I think about, and I come forward with Jasiri X, um, who mm-hmm. is a modern-day rapper and who uh, is one of the most prolific um Rappers who has, um, in the midst of all this, come out with a piece called Don't Let Them Get Away with Murder, which we play every hour. And in it, he talks about how this generation is the David generation, which I think is very important that they have claimed. Um, that that symbolic, that iconic biblical um, standard to say mm-hmm. that with five smooth stones we can bring this giant down. He talks about not being afraid and uh, pulling forward on the um, last poet. It's better to um, blessed are those who struggle. It's, uh, oppression is worse than the grave. Um, that we better we we prefer. He says we prefer to die on our feet than to live as a slave. Um, it's it's an anthem that um, is circulating across not just the country but is expressed across the planet by young people everywhere. 
Um, of course, today uh, is the beginning of what the Black Lives Matter movement calls the Black Spring, um, at taking uh, lead from the Arab Spring, the Tunisian Spring, the, the um, uprisings Syrian. that have gone on, um, and taking uh, lessons from that. It reminds me very much of the days of, of my days at this age when at their age when I was involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and SNCC and we were, you know, when the revolution comes and the revolution will come soon. Um, there were some um, problems with, with that thinking and that analysis that manifest itself in our lack of preparation um, for the 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 war that we were in. We we think about the Black Panther Party and and of course the image that comes to mind immediately are the black leather jackets, berets, and the rifles, some of which didn't even work. Many of which um, did yes. were not loaded, um, but um, I think and 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 the the uh, extension of that being um, with people from the the Black Panther Party, uh, from the Black Liberation Army, from the Revolutionary Action Movement. Um, being casualties in what we described as a war, but somehow or another were unable to internalize and to operate substantively uh, on a war footing. I, I looked at, uh, and, and of course, I refer, I'm referring to today's political prisoners, prisoners of war and exiles. Um, who, for the past more than uh, 25 years, in most instances, are still in prison, who um, some on trumped-up charges um, are part of the show trials and the great sweeps that the FBI made under COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program, but some of whom who... Um, stepped up to the times because this is not the first time, as you all know, that we have been under such an active military onslaught. We are always under a military onslaught, but the level and the intensity of the aggression, the violence against us at this point in time, um, I won't say it's unprecedented, but unprecedented because I think it's cyclical. When um, the the economy uh, fails and uh, cannot uh, absorb us, um, when we are not so uh, drugged out of our minds that we are dysfunctional, then. Um, the response is always violence, and mm -hmm. when we saw that, um, we, when we experienced that, 
in the 60s uh, and early 70s, and you had the birth of the Black Panther Party, or before that, you had the uh, unofficial official violence is represented by the uh, Ku Klux Klan and other um, white terrorist um, organizations, um, which, of course, have at this point morphed into the police department and its uh, and law enforcement in its, in its various levels. Um, then we, we devised responses to that. Uh, the Deacons for Defense, uh, Robert Williams in in uh, Monroe, North Carolina, um, people in in the Akinelli Emoja's book, We Shoot Back, um, details a, 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 in a, a wonderful history of resistance um, and self defense, self respect, and self determination that is in fact our tradition and we have been uh, manipulated and played into believing that the tradition of African people uh, in this country and of, of greatest effectiveness is uh, Martin Luther King in his um, so-called nonviolent um, direct action phase. I would remind people that Martin Luther King actually carried a gun, had a gun, had a, a permit to carry a gun, and did so for a number of years. It was only in um, the latter part of his life when um, he became the SELC was heavily financed um, by uh, Jews and, and white leftists that um, he uh, abandoned, he stopped carrying uh, carrying the gun, began to study Gandhi, and um, I think a part of that had to do with um, the, the notion that we, we don't manufacture guns or ammunition, and so therefore we would be outgunned. However, we learned from the Vietnamese people and other liberation struggles around the world that um, you don't have to manufacture guns or ammunition in order to be able to defend and to be victorious against those who do. In fact, um, I'm trying to remember, this is the 50th anniversary of the uh, end of the U.S. invasion of Vietnam and Southeast Asia. Um, and the great celebration that is going on among the Vietnamese people uh, for the victory that they won against not only uh, the uh, the French, but also against the United States, which was and uh, to this day remains the greatest, uh, strongest military power on the planet. Reminiscent, of course, of the Haitian Revolution, where the um, workers um, called slaves in Haiti uh, were able to defeat Napoleon, who is still to this day viewed by Europeans as one of their greatest um, generals. So I, I, when I hear young people call themselves the David generation, 
I I am uh, heartened. I am, mm-hmm. um, and I I would agree with the Jammu that I, it's exciting. I mean, it's and, but for all of the uh, commitments and challenges that I have here in Greenville, I too would be in Baltimore breaking the curfew. Um, mm-hmm. It was to go to Ferguson and to see, to be at the place um, where uh, Michael Brown was murdered and to have to recognize and to be with others who recognize that that was a, is a sacred place in our history uh, and in our movement for uh, forward the revitalization of the spirit of resistance. During um, the Selma 50 uh, celebrations, one of the events that received little recognition was the um, installation of uh, Willie Bukasa Ricks, who was the um, person who uh, was the advanced person for uh, SNCC on behalf of Kwame Ture on the Mississippi March who went forward to prepare the crowds to call for black power um, and to assist in that popularization of that call. Um, Along with uh, Mukasa was Nina Simone uh, and myself, all of uh, recognizing uh, being installed in the Hall of Resistance, recognizing a lifetime of service to African people and particularly um, holding up the standard um, of resistance, which if we look at it uh, in its fullest terms and it's important that we do look at it from uh, from the first African snatched off of the African continent um, and brought to the Western Hemisphere as our having been or being at war for the past 500 years, and the the series of high points of Nzinga, of Yaasantawa, of Sinque, or Sinque, and the Amistad Rebellion, coming uh, not to mention all of the various uh, rebellions, plantation rebellions uh, 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 throughout uh, the the country. And although we think of them as being limited to the South, the fact of the matter is is, is that there were uh, re- there was uh, resistance, armed resistance um, uh, uh, throughout the the East Coast. I mean, we can't help but think about David Walker, um, and we think about Maria W. Stewart. Um, who called on uh, African women to uh, stand up and to take uh, an, a more aggressive and assertive role in the struggle for the liberation of African people, not the integration or assimilation into um, the the, the uh, society, for lack of a better term, in which we found ourselves, but to create for ourselves and our people uh, a a separate place where our dignity was not only valued but enhanced. So Mm -hmm. 
the the call for to to um the David generation um is um is right in that tradition and is uh is timely. Um I I look forward to the long hot summer that um we expect to, to see. The question is is whether those of us who've been through it before are going to be able to provide the assistance and the sustenance that this generation um, will need, because we know that, mm-hmm. that the the system is more brutal, it's more callous, and it's more complex than uh, before. In that, it was easier to recognize. Um, for the most part, who the enemy, uh, who the enemy was. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's as as Jamil Alamine um, cautions us to be black is necessary but not sufficient. And mm-hmm. when we look at the fact that we have got four black women as the uh, the symbols of authority at the various levels and levers of the onslaught um it it uh, it it creates it um a lot of confusion um, yes. for many of us especially yes. the older ones of us although the young people um don't, are, are seem to be less confused about um the role that these women are playing and and their um lo- and where their loyalties where these women's loyalties lie yes and that was one of the things that um i have been concerned about and it is very difficult to try to without being there to try to get clarification and information which is the black truth rather than some truth that they want mm-hmm. to conjure up. For mm-hmm. instance, one of the things that I noted, while we are all very proud of the words this young woman, Marilyn Mosby, who is the prosecutor, had to say, we have to look at the particular charges in regard to the Freddie Gray mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. What I noted and I want to get your your comment and then ask uh, our audience to uh, join us in this discussion. What I noted was that these charges are fashioned to inform a narrative which is acceptable, digestible, meets the palate mm-hmm. of the government. Mm-hmm. As opposed to that we know is something happened on the takedown of Freddie Gray that mm-hmm. caused his injury. We know that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we see all of these people celebrating both the power and the skill of a prosecutor and of a mayor and of congressional delegates of that community mm-hmm. who are supporting a narrative that
that we know is not true. Mm-hmm. So I want to get your comments about that because I think that that creates more confusion. It also alienates and isolates the same young people, new generation, the generation mm-hmm. of David, as you point out, mm-hmm. from those of us who should be supporting them and mm-hmm. in a position for them to trust us. Uh, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I, I, I want to get... Yeah, I I would say part of what what we have is our own ambivalence. You know, um, we've been hedging. So many of us have been hedging uh, for the past 30, 40 years. Um, And so many of us have become comfortable even in our discomfort we have become comfortable with the the situations in which we are we find ourselves and we have been patting ourselves on the back that we have continued to do something even if it's not what we otherwise know we ought to be doing um there is no reason why the, why political prisoners are at uh, COINTELPRO civil rights era political prisoners are an unknown quantity in the black community across this mm-hmm. country. Um, the logical extension of the struggle was to lift them up and to make them as they have been made in other communities. Uh, the Puerto Rican community being the the uh, best example, uh, the the uh, stars and the heroes and the standard bearers that they are, and that they are the litmus test for any and all who would uh, seek our vote, seek any kind of support from our community, where. And what is your position with regard to political prisoners as well as reparations? But because we've allowed ourselves to be bought off, even um, uh, John Conyers, who uh, assured us as soon as he got to be the chair of the Judiciary Committee that uh, reparations would be on the table, failed to even introduce H.R. 40. Uh, for fear that uh, he lose, he not be uh, appointed the chair, or that he lose it once what um, he he was appointed. So, I think that what we wind up with is being embarrassed, as I said to some other um, uh, folk uh, earlier this week, that. Um, Our failure to advance the human rights struggle that the civil rights struggle had become is uh, we're embarrassed by the the excuse me by the young people 
who are at this point saying the the material things that you all that the system promises or has to offer are not the standard uh and the basis on which we're going to uh make peace with you that mm-hmm. the the peace that we're going to make is going to be that black lives truly matter. That means you're going to stop shooting us down in the street. We're going to um, have a meaningful education, have access to work, not just jobs, but work that is fulfilling, that provides a, a, a living wage, that affirms our dignity. We're going to have decent health. We're back to the Black Panther Party's 10-point plan. Yes, <laughs> the 10-point plan, exactly. Which is so, which which I find so frustrating because we did so much work to build community knowledge, mm-hmm, understanding mm-hmm. about that plat uh, about those ten points. Mm-hmm. And now we have got to do that work all over again. Well, I think that there's a lesson um, to I'm, be I'm scared. learned. I'm, I'm, scared. I'm scared it's not, not enough time. And I've really been suffering from that for maybe uh, a year now. Do I have enough time mm, to do all mm, the mm. things that need to be done? Um, am I going to be able to maintain my stamina mm-hmm. to do what I do here mm-hmm. every Saturday mm-hmm. night? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, and, yes. and and I look at people like, I mean, I look at people like you. We have to, and an Alpha of the Alpha show, and India Declare, and Max Parthas, and Scotty Weed, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and we have to beg. Mm-hmm. We have That's to right. beg to give people for free. Mhm what they mm-hmm. need You know the only my only solace is one is that I'm doing what I believe is necessary to advance the liberation of African people and as the saying go that virtue is its own reward Yes um yes. That we are creating the institutions, the platforms, the artifacts that are necessary for the next generation to move the struggle a bit further mm-hmm. along. Um, mm-hmm. I, the fact of the matter is that I used to say that it was three to four percent, uh, only three to four percent of the population is active in a shooting war. But I heard someone recently say that it's even less than that, that it's only about one to two percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and that if we understand that and, and reaching that and impacting and influencing, that one to two percent, as opposed to um, falling back into referencing what I call 
our TV history, you know, the March on Washington, the Million Man March, the Million Women March. The, and now we got a march on on Washington to uh, ask the the Department of Justice to take over police departments across the country, which is never going to happen ever, ever, no. ever. And no. it's just frustrating people more, but it's also mm-hmm. another way of corralling people mm-hmm. into distraction. Mm-hmm. Right. And exhausting exhausting the, the rage, the fury and the rage. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it, it's it's like uh, one of the most disconcerting things is that this mayor of, of Baltimore – she starts a curfew mm-hmm. the next day after the uprising. Mm-hmm. Now they're conti- now they have had a whole peaceful week. It's been a peace and joy festival going on in Baltimore in the streets for all of the adults who ought to be taking care of this business and 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 the and and the and the um and curfew continues with mm-hmm. a larger presence tonight. This is an update, folks, of police in certain neighborhoods. We get distracted so easily. We get well, you- satisfied so easily. Mm-hmm. 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 We get well, well, tell me, are they put in a place where... Are they arresting people at this point because it's eleven thirty? Uh, well, there are. Well, they had moved in. I'm. Um, I'm not sure as to what, but by by the time we came on the air, they had moved a significant presence of police in the Latrobe neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, I I just tell you, we've got some callers who want to join in on this conversation, oh, great. and if you do, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. You're listening to our common ground. We're talking resistance and rebellion, Baltimore and beyond, with Afia in one Gaza. We're going to go to who's been holding on the the longest. Let's see, six four six. You're on the air. Thank you for your call. I respect you. Hello, BJ. How are you? Good. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Listen, I'm not going to be long. Listen, let's let's stop playing games in regards to what's going on in Baltimore. It's at this present moment an occupied state. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to get to the point to where we mature and find new strategies to deal with this situation. There's only one thing left for us to do. Mm -hmm. And the one thing we need to do is start a target boycott. And until we do a target boycott, this will continue to go on and on and on because of the simple fact, money talks, BS walks. And that's all these white folks care about is money. As far as the six officers being arrested and charged, number one, they're overcharged. Just like you had the situation, I think, in Cleveland with the sister where the police officer was undercharged 
these officers are now overcharged. You see, and to keep on marching you mean the and marching individual and voting, charges? what do we get out of it? What are we getting out of it? I, I, we're not punishing them at all. All we're are you doing. Saying, hold on for a minute. Are you saying that the individual charges to the individual officers are overcharged? Overcharged, yes. Uh-huh. They're overcharged. When it, when it, when it boils that, down to in the end of the day, it's going to be them getting off because the charges are overcharged. I've seen it happen too many times. I mean, do the, do the, do the check. Um, BJ, and you'll, you'll see that, that that's what plays out. See, the point, the point is this. There has really never been any conviction of a police officer killing a black body. Okay? And for some reason, we as a people are caught in this box that we must continuously march, protest, Boycott and do all these things. Listen, Martin Luther King been dead for 50 years. Malcolm been dead for over 50 years. Where's our new leadership? Where's our new strategy? Where's our new initiative for making something happen? There's only one thing these white folks care about. It's money. They don't care about anything else. You take two corporations and you affect their bottom dollar on a serious level, oh, things will change quickly. I've seen it happen. And when it does happen, all they're going to do is lead out these Negroes like Perm Daddy, Sharpton, Jesse, and the rest of them. Because remember one thing, they never talk about boycott. Why? Because these corporations do what? Give them money. So how could they ever talk about boycotting anything when they're getting financed by these corporations? Over the last years. nine years, Sharpton's became a multimillionaire. Jesse's been one. So let's stop we playing games and organize on how we can do a target boycott. And I guarantee you, if we do it right and we put it to the point to where, like, we have these Black Lives Matters and all of these other things going on, things will change mighty, mighty quickly, BJ. Let's Think about get, it. Let's, let's get a response from... <laughs> I love your passion, now, brother. First of all, I I don't agree. I don't agree that um, that that folk haven't called for for boycotts, and I and I think that uh, in large measure, boycotts are overrated. Let's look at past. Um, past boycotts, the Montgomery boycott in particular, um, that where not only was it successful in forcing short in, okay. yes, can, can you hear me? I, I, yes. Okay. Um, it was short-sighted, and it did not advance um, the materially advanced the interests of black people. And when you go to Montgomery to this very day, the truth of the matter is, is, is that, like South Africa, that you have black faces in high places, but the money and the arms never changed hands. 
so boycotting um, has its benefits, but the, the, the it, but those benefits are extremely limited. Extremely We're getting a little limited. crackling on your microphone. Sister, uh, uh, sister, let me say this to no, you. No, wait a minute, brother. Just a minute. I'll let you finish okay. your comment. Okay, I just want to be able to reply to you. No problem. Make a note if you need to. The The next thing is, is, is that we need to be clear about what our goal actually is. Now, if our goal is is freedom, then the the goal then the, it's not about what making white folks uh, accept us. The goal is is to one. The first of all is is to stay alive, but to be willing to die. That's the first thing. The second is, is is that our definition of freedom has to be more clearly articulated, and the the uh, the benefit, the actual benefit of the boycott is one, uh, discipline, refusing to participate in a system that uh, degrades. And, and is degrading of our dignity and our worth as human beings. The, the um, exercise in self-respect is the benefit of the boycott. Our, our goal has to be to move us as a people forward and in the process of doing that, change the quantum and quality of our relationship with the global system of white supremacy um, generally and particularly as it manifests our, itself in our daily lives in this country. Bebo, we want to thank you uh, for your can, call. Can I just reply to this, Janice? Just very quickly, I've got other callers. All, all I'm all I'm going to say is this: in the mind of the Negro Peen, that ex, explanation that she just gave would satisfy them. In the mind of an African, it has no bearings whatsoever because if you study the Montgomery boycott. When they started making changes and making things better for the blacks in Montgomery was when they saw that the Montgomery bus cart was successful in the creation of a black bus company. That's what the real deal is. Anytime you as an African create something successful that is self-sufficient, White folks come in and do their thing. That's what real white supremacy is about. It is about control of your economics. That's what it's really, really about. It can't work without the control of your economics. And until we understand that, and until we apply new strategies, which is target boycotting that will grow into something bigger and better, then we're going to stay in this box, being Negroes who will march and hurt our feet and get nothing in return. Thank you. There was, not, Sister BJ. Hotel. there was not a single black 
bus company that came out of the Montgomery bus boycott. In fact, there wasn't even a single black driver that came. So it wasn't even jobs that came out of the Montgomery bus boycott. <laughs> well, we certainly have to consider uh, what are are some strategically effective ways in which to organize communities at the local level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where change can be made. We're going to go to 330. Uh, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. I respect you. Uh, hello, ladies. How are we tonight? We are fine. Thank you. Good, good. Uh, been listening to your show a while, and I think uh, I think that our minds – tend to think alike, but we really don't know where a fair place to start is. And I know that's an ambiguous statement, so let me say this, if I may. In 1452, the Pope of the World made a decree called the Dumb Diversus, and this sent Saracens and what we call today pagans enemies of the Catholic Church. Further underneath this uh, decree, it states that the people of the New World, which are you and me, will then become enemies of Christ. Because there's an old world and there's a new world. Where are you going with this? Pardon? Where are you going with this? Uh, in 1452, the Pope no, of the I, World I, put the... No, where, where are you going with this in 2015? Well, we're still in perpetual slavery based off of a decree from 1452. Uh-huh, and, it, and, and, and the relevance of that to what is you happening... Think that we're in, you think that we've been freed from slavery, and we haven't. The Pope so you're an abolitionist. I'm not putting a title on myself. I am a son of Abraham, and I believe in the Creator and the things that are said in the Old Testament. This decree, Dumb Diversus 1452, states that the people that uh, are of the New World are enemies of Christ. See, we didn't speak the English language. And it informs how we move beyond Baltimore in what way? That if we protest the Pope instead that we can have our right to return to our homeland in South America. See, the only people that came on boats are the Caucasians. And when we adapted to their language, they taught us that we were from somewhere else while they built kingdoms on top of our family's bones. And the and the construct of this in... As we look at the construct the, of this has to deal with all the books that were written in the 1600s for other white people to read during a time when black people could not read their writings. They wrote their truth about us while we could not read us? their writings. Who, I'm trying to... the, the, Af, the Afro-Asians, we are considered or classified in encyclopedias as Afro-Asians. If you are in front of a computer right now, please type in Afro-Asian. No, I'm, I'm in front of a talk. I'm in front of a talk show audience. 
who has to understand what is the bottom bottom line of the point that you would like to make. We have been placed in perpetual well, we've been placed in perpetual slavery by the Pope before the colonists hit the soil. The only way for us to find our way to uh, home is to uh-huh. protest this so that we can have the right to return to our original homes where we were taken captive from. Oh, uh, okay. So I, I see you, you want to return to your homeland, and you think that protesting the Pope is going to make the that happen. The one who enslaved us, yes. Uh-huh. See, okay. uh, this person... Three, I, I, I can't... I can't we need to talk about resistance and bel- uh, and rebellion because you know what? My homeland, I wouldn't know where to go. The books from the 1600s. In the, in the context of tell- how you were talking. So what? one of the things, <laughs> if we need a movement against the Catholic Church, I can't handle that. I have enough on my plate, but I do appreciate people who are thinking about different ways in which to do this. Thank you for your Good. call. Listen, this is the... Asiya, um, let's talk about... <laughs> Damn, I thought I had a headache before I came on. <laughs> I really got a headache now. <laughs> uh, and, and it's not that I want to make light of how people are seeing, I mean, people are seeing this from a lot of different vantage points. But one of the things that I am really concerned about is maintaining a spirit of struggle in within mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. with our people. And if this and and you know the previous caller, um, <coughs> Bebo made made the point that he is not trusting. And I have gotten lots of email over this past week. As a matter of fact, I have been getting like hundreds of email from different people asking me different questions about what's going on in Baltimore. And and I think that the my con, my concern and I shared it with Brother Baraka is that mm-hmm. we continue to maintain a that we build a framework in which people are clear about how they can continue to resist and what and mm-hmm. and, and how mm-hmm. this uprising informs that. And Bebo Let said say, earlier yeah. in his call that he didn't trust, and people are saying to me, I, we don't trust what's going to happen with the charges against these six people, right. six right. officers who you know, based on their behavior and participation in terrorism against our people and against mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. against Freddie Gray, I could care less whether they took them and dropped them off the face of the earth. Mhm. Well, you know, and, and and I apologize that I didn't address the the uh, your question with regard to the the quality of the charges. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think that the charges matter one way or the other. I don't even think that the issuing of the charges have anything to do with the the crimes, the murder of of Freddie 
uh, Gray. The char- that was a political move to quash dissent for this weekend and to try to avoid the city of Baltimore going up in flames. Mm-hmm. That's what that was about. Thank you. Because it wasn't um, even expected. They had been saying they weren't going to respond to the police report or any report on Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they recognized so, that people weren't going away. And not only that, people were, more people were coming to Baltimore to put more pressure on them uh, to do what they ultimately did on Friday, which was to announce um, the charges as a um, a, a pressure-release valve. That's all that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because normally people have the the old ruse of everybody be cool. You know, we can learn a lot from the Rodney King case. Everybody be cool. The DOJ is going to do an investigation, so we have to let the system work its course. Well, now we've been through enough instances where the system works its course and there's nothing at the end of it. There's no Mm -hmm. indictment. There are no charges. There's no punishment. There may be some money, but it's business as usual. Um, so as far as the charges are concerned, the, the uh, prosecutor uh, did her, performed her job of manipulating public sentiment um, by coming out with um, uh, charges of uh, issuing um, uh, warrants, for the arrest, and as I understand it, the arrest, well, they obviously were arrested because the mugshots are all over the Internet. Um, and to, um, uh, on that basis, attempt to justify, to lay the foundation for justifying increased, increased brutality against demonstrators in Baltimore and across the country. That's what that was. Now, I want to say with regard to boycotts, I totally agree that we should not be spending money in places and with people who do not respect us, um, including the system as it exists. However, to think that um, a boycott is, in fact, going to make a, a, a structural, and that's the goal that it has to be, a structural change in this country is to delude ourselves. It is to not study our history, not to understand the history, not just of of our boycotts, but of how boycotts have been used to date by other movements. So, uh, you know, we saw in, in Indiana where um, when uh, they came out with this religious freedom uh, law that uh, there was a big hue and cry about um, uh, against it and the governor backed off and, and, uh, the, and told the legislature that they had to, to write in some uh, waivers or some clauses that uh, made it clear that LGBTQ people could not legally be discriminated against. Well, hey, 
they they ordered that the schools in this country would be desegregated in 1954. How many of them not only not desegregated, but they are systematically dismantling the public school system. So um, I think that we have to be uh, look at we have to study be better scholars. Uh, but we need to begin to look at things phenomenologically and to understand what the, the the impact or the consequences are or are not of the the actions that we take in our effort to assert our dignity and worth as human beings and the minimal impact that it has mm-hmm. on the system uh, and the and the maintenance of power of uh, in the hands of white folks. Mhm. Athea, you have been away from our common ground much too long. Um and I want people in our audience to know how they can listen to you uh during the week. Well, you know, actually <laughs> I I don't um my my voice is is WMXP um uh, 95 5.com um when you go on the Malcolm X website um then you can listen live to the station but i i don't do a program um i uh, beyond programming the station itself self and uh-huh. it's and it's in the totality of the 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 uh, station what comes out on the station that mm-hmm. i speak um to the world because we're we're on the internet but uh, generally but uh to the local community in particular um we are a, a an unfunded pacifica affiliate and uh the benefit of that is is that we are able to broadcast uh pacifica sister stations programming as well as other Pacifica affiliates programs. So what I do on a daily basis is create this montage, a 24-hour montage of information yeah. exactly um we mm-hmm. have uh, we start off in the morning with WBAI's morning show which is extraordinarily informative we take stuff from our common ground um and we play that um during the course of the day um we take we play message music um from back in the day, uh, heavy OJs, um, the uh, last poets, um, and that's interspersed with uh, uh, old school music and current uh, um, artists. So we're, we we have we have what we call Monday through Friday the seven o'clock lectures, where it can be anything from. Uh, Dr. Vin to Shaka uh, uh, Musa Barashango to Dr. Clark to Marimba Arne, uh to um, uh, Michelle Alexander. Um, uh-huh. We have um, uh, we do Democracy Now. We do uh, Black Agenda Report. You know, one minute a uh, 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 listener may be uh, listening to. Um, uh, 
the OJs, uh, backstabbers, and the next minute they're listening to Malcolm X uh, talking about police brutality or Martin Luther King calling yeah. for reparations. So well, we certainly want um, people to join you and support the Malcolm X Self-Determination Center in Greenville, South Carolina. We always provide information on our website about you and and what you're doing there, as well as um, ensuring that people know that independent radio extends all over this country and we have to support it all and the efforts of activists like you who get it, who really get it. Uh, So it's Folks, for for you who are listening, and we posted it in our chat room, it's wmxp955.webs.com. Mm-hmm. And if you go mm-hmm. to the Malcolm X Center for Self-Determination website, you will be able to find and listen. So, uh, thank you so very much. We've got just a little time to... to to get out of here, but we appreciate your efforts. We appreciate your brilliance in understanding the struggle for black liberation in America. Thank you, and for all that you do. And we have no choice, but we're I mean, we're obsessive compulsive about the struggle for the liberation of our people. We'll do it until our toes turn blue. Absolutely. And for those who who are listening, don't forget to join us on Facebook and Twitter. We will see you right back here next Saturday night. I'm Janice Graham. This is Our Common Ground, where black truth reigns. We thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. Our To our guests and our callers and listeners, we are most appreciative. We'll see you right here next Saturday night, 10 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'll be listening for you. I've heard your calls for no justice, no peace. However, your peace is sincerely needed as I work to deliver justice on behalf of Freddie Gray. To the rank and file officers of the Baltimore City Police Department, please know that these accusations of these six officers are not an indictment on the entire force. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kissless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace, we, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cankerous words which challenge our existence. Yet, out of those same mouths can come songs of such exquisite sweetness that the heart falters in its labor and the body is quieted into awe. We, this people, on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such abandon that in a twinkling, life is sapped from the living. Yet those same hands can touch with such healing, irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend. 
out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety and without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Like that, us going for no weapon. His weapon was already drawn when he got.